Amen. Well, we've come in our study of Revelation to the fourth chapter, and the picture changes to the environment of heaven. The songs that we sang this morning, Holy, 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 this is the inspiration for that. It's this picture of heaven that John gives us in Revelation chapter 4, um, and it's included in other places in the scripture as well. But what we see here, we've gone through, in Revelation chapter 1, he had a vision of Jesus. And then in Revelation 2 and 3, there was these personal messages to the church that we've looked at for the last eight weeks. And now when we come to chapter 4, the scene changes drastically. Back in chapter 1, we have sort of an outline, as in Revelation 1.19, Jesus told John, write the things which you have seen, that's this vision of Jesus in chapter 1, and the things which are, that would be what's going on now, which would include chapters 2 and 3, the existence of the church, and write the things that will take place after this, or after these things, the Greek words metatauta, after following this. Now, um, the book of Revelation is primarily composed of a description of what is going to happen after these things, after the time that we are currently in. So chapters two and three dealt with us and where we're at. The first three chapters talk about the church constantly. The word church is not even used after chapter three until we get clear to the end of the book. So um, what we're mostly looking at in the book of Revelation is what is going to take place. And so here in chapter four, he begins this description by saying, after these things, metatauta. And he says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here, and I will show you which must take place metatauta after these things. So he says, a door opened in heaven. Now in chapter 3, we saw two instances. In the church at Philadelphia, it was told, I have a door that's open for you. In the church in Laodicea, we were told, Jesus is knocking on the door because he wants to come in and fellowship with us. Now we see another door, the door to heaven. And John is transported, spiritually able to see that which is going on in heaven. And, and he's going to, it's going to be revealed what is happening, metatauta, after these things. So he's going to be given a vision of heaven and a vision of the future. And, and all of that, what unfolds, is the rest of the book of Revelation. It's one of the reasons why... I feel the conviction that the church is going to be taken out of the way in the rapture before what begins to take place in chapters 5 and 6 and following, the time of the tribulation. I don't think we're going to be there when that happens um, because this is a letter to churches and the church isn't mentioned anymore after this, essentially. And so that's just one of the reasons why I have that conviction. You're welcome to have a different conviction, and, and that's totally fine, too. Um, you're not a heretic to believe something different than I do. You're simply wrong. But, uh, 
Now, there are some people who see when he says, come up here, who sees, oh, that's the rapture. To me, that's a stretch, okay? He, he, he's telling John, come here, I want you to see this. And so I, I, I wouldn't twist it that far in order to support my own position. But what he says is, I heard a voice that told me, here's what, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to show you about your future. And, and so the voice is described as being like a trumpet. A trumpet is the most clear musical instrument that there is. It's a pure sound. It's why they always used it to command troops to retreat or to take a break or to charge or whatever, because for miles away, you can hear a trumpet blaring out. And so it's not that this voice that spoke to him sounded like a trumpet was doing it. Over in chapter one, Jesus' voice is described as being like a trumpet as well. The idea probably is clarity, sharpness. I understood exactly what he said. Because it's really hard for a trumpet to sound like, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So obviously, there's something about this voice that was just very distinct, clear, and perhaps commanding as well. So here's this call. You're going to see heaven. Now, this should be exciting to us because everything that we believe in says that when we leave this place, we're going to heaven. And there isn't a whole lot that the Bible describes about heaven, and we often wonder what it's going to be like. Most of the ideas that we have about heaven, frankly, make it sound boring, make it sound like, really? I, you know, there was a guy that I heard speaking one time, and he said, his little girl came to him sometime and said, what are we going to do in heaven? And, and he goes, well, honey, we're just going to praise the Lord. And she goes, really, all the time? And he said, yeah. And she goes, can't we just stop and mess around once in a while? <laughs> because our concept of heaven, we have a way of watering it down and making it sound like it's horrible. But what we see here is anything but that. It's exciting and vibrant and stimulating, um, all of these things. And so John was impressed with, here's what heaven looks like. And so when we look at this chapter, the people that you love who have gone to be with the Lord, this is the kind of environment they were in. And when you take your last gasp of breath here on the earth, this is most likely what you will see when you get to heaven. And so that makes it exciting to me. Now, his description of heaven is stunningly similar to the one that Ezekiel gave over in Ezekiel chapter 1. It's, it's so close to what Isaiah describes in Isaiah chapter 6. It, this is apparently what heaven looks like. So let's check it out. Just transport yourself to this place. This is your future. This is what we have to look forward to. This is where God dwells. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. He had said he was in the Spirit over in the first chapter as well, so meaning either that the Spirit was just really filling him or that he was transported spiritually to be able to see something. Though he was on the island of Patmos, he was witnessing something that was in heaven. So there I was, and behold, check it out, he says. A throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. First thing he sees is this throne, and somebody was on it. He doesn't describe that somebody because it's God 
who is spirit and doesn't have physical presence, but you knew he was there, sitting on this throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper, which is a stone that's sort of opaque, kind of like a diamond, and a sardis stone in appearance. A sardis was like a ruby red rich uh, stone. So he's like, it's not like I could see him, but I saw these shining, precious, sparkly something there on the throne where he was. And he says, um, there was a rainbow around the throne, all the way surrounding it, and it was in appearance like an emerald. It was perhaps the, the green of the rainbow was jumping out, or perhaps it's referring to the shape, the roundness. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, or as we talked about in chapter one, most likely the Holy Spirit in his sevenfold presence. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature like a face with a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, living creature sounds like some, you know, monster. Um, The word for living creature is just one word in the Greek, and it just means life forms and livings. The four living creatures each had six wings, full of eyes all around and inside, and they don't rest day and night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures would give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders would fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Whoa. Now we go, finally. I mean, this is what I'm talking about in a Revelation study. We got monsters, we got special colors, flashes of lightning. We're like, oh, good. Because, Dave, when I've read Revelation 4, I'm just like, what is with these eyes and these wings and why these colors and what's the sea about and the rainbow and the... And see... That's the way we tend to look at things. And what we want to do is analyze this, and almost every commentary that you will read on Revelation will focus completely on explaining what all of these things mean. But I'm going to give you, to let you in on a secret. When John saw this, he didn't even think about going, why the jasper and sardis? What's with this What's with this rainbow, the sea of glass? What, who are these monsters with all these eyes? What is it? Even who are these 24 elders on throne? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to care because his attention is drawn to the worship of God. When he saw this stuff, he, he was obsessed with 
people who are worshiping God. God chooses to decorate heaven in a way that's stunning because all of that is appropriate to the worship of God. So I am not going to, although it's tempting, because there are great speculations in terms of what each of these elements means. You know, these, these living creatures, we do know from, from back in Isaiah that they are called seraphim. He saw the same guys. They're seraphim, that is, they are some heavenly, special category of heavenly angel. So, okay, they're, they're angels. But what's up with their faces? You know, some people are like, well, each face represents one of the Gospels. Because Matthew sees Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, so that must be what the lion is. The calf is a working animal, and so that's referring to Gospel of Mark, which sees Jesus as a servant. Luke sees Jesus as a man and emphasizes his humanity, thus the face of a man. John emphasizes his deity, and a soaring eagle does a good... So, yeah, you could do that. Other people see, oh, no, these are categories of creation. A wild animal, the lion, a domesticated animal, a calf, man himself, the pinnacle of creation, and then the soaring birds is another category of creation. You know, the, the eyes in these in these creatures, in these living beings, these life forms, obviously has something to do with, wow, wow, I can see everything and I'm moving. And you look at their description back in Ezekiel and Isaiah and they like hover and, they, and it, it's really cool, but nobody ever says, what does that mean? We can speculate. Why a rainbow? Oh, it refers to a promise of God. It refers to peace that he's going to bring. It's like we can play with this stuff, the colors of the stones, the meaning of the lightning and thunder, all of this, and yet none of that is what John cared about except to describe it. None of it is what God said, you need to understand this. And so then that voice that was speaking to me said, look, here's what this means. They didn't care what it meant. That was just what it looked like. That was just decoration. What is clear and what is important in heaven is the worship of God. We can be so analytical. Oh, we think we're so smart. We think we're so scientific that often when we see something that's stunning, we want to break it down into its contributing elements in order to then figure out what we think it is by breaking it down into its parts. And that's a good way to ruin beauty. Like if you ever see a beautiful rainbow with an engineer, they're going to say, you're going to go, wow, that's beautiful. I wonder if there's a pot of gold at the end of it. And they're going to go, no, what it is, is there are drops of rain in the sky. And when light, which is contained of every frequency that makes what we see as colors, hits a, rain, a raindrop, part of the light is reflected away, but part of it absorbs the, the, the little drop of water, and in there it is refracted. And because each wave of light is refracted at a different angle, it creates this prismatic illusion of stripes of color consecutively, really all that is is light being refracted into a way that we see it, and you go, so there's no pot of gold? It's just like, <laughs> this is just refracted light, really? 
And, and that's the way we tend to look at the world sometimes. We get so analytical. There are people who, when they, you know, there's that feeling of falling in love that you say you're lovesick. Because like, all of a sudden, I love this person and it makes me sick. My stomach is churning. When I'm away from them, I feel, oh. And you can either say I'm lovesick or you can go, yeah, you know, it's really amazing how certain things happen and then you have these endomorphic drugs that your body produces that makes an irritation in your stomach combined with a couple of hormones that you have that work together that make you feel that way. And by the way, did you know they can hook you up to a machine and inject drugs into you and they can make you feel lovesick? It's all just chemicals. It, no, it, it's, it's love. It's, you know... <laughs> Can you stop analyzing everything and just say, wow? Can you just, can you just look at what God has made and just be impressed with it? You know, I don't, one of the most beautiful places in the world to me is Yosemite. And as many times as I've been there, over a hundred times, when I stand up on Glacier Point and I look across at this massive granite and this valley that sinks way down below, full of memories of, as a child, watching the firefalls there in Yosemite before the environmentalists killed it off. Um, <laughs> looking at that river going through the valley, the trees, there's half dome, a half of a dome. And then there's, off to the side of that, you see, standing there, you see Nevada Falls and Vernal Falls down below it. Nevada Falls kind of random. Vernal Falls really rectangular. And, and then w little waterfalls that don't even have names coming down the valley. And, and you see all of that. And I, when I look at it, I don't say, I wonder why a half dome. I wonder what God's trying to tell me through only having half of a dome. I wonder what he meant by the glaciers that carved this canyon out. I wonder how long it took. I wonder, is this evidence of the flood? I wonder if this is just, wow, should I be concerned about this? And why does God put waterfalls where most people can't even see them? This is just, and, and the meaning of that valley. And the No, I just look at it and I go, wow. This is amazing. And at my highest level of awareness becomes my lowest level of analyzing, and I, and I am taken to an appreciation of the beauty that I see. And that's what I see happening here. Now, you have 24 elders, and I, and I will say this, that these 24 elders, although people argue and write books about them, most likely these are representatives of believers in Jesus, maybe including Old Testament saints and members of the church, the only reason I say that is because in chapter 5, when you see the song they're singing there, it says, you redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, nation, and kindred. So obviously these are people who are redeemed. They're also wearing crowns. They're sitting on thrones, which was promised to us by our Lord. And so clearly it's them. But their obsession is with worship. Their obsession is with wow. And, and, and so if we read this any other way, we are like those who scientifically want to analyze a rainbow instead of going, that's amazing. I don't care how it's constructed. God made this because he wanted to impress upon us what beauty is. 
And if you want to analyze beauty away, that's fine. But John and the people who are there in heaven and your loved ones who have gone on to heaven right now, they are not looking behind the scenes and going, I wonder how this works. They are looking at it and going, would you look at that? Is that amazing or what? And looking at in amazement and in beauty and going, look at those guys floating around. Check those eyes out. Look at those colors. Look at that incredible sea of, that looks like glass. And they're just going, God, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty One, who was and who is and who is to come, the one who has always been. You never began, you'll never end, and you're here right now. When we talk about holiness, holy, holy has a bad rap. Because I think when we think of the word holy, we tend to think of something that's scrubbed totally clean until the life is beaten out of it. And that's why our, our concept of heaven is often people who are so clean that they just don't do anything because they don't want to get their smocks dirty. And so heaven becomes a place with no color, which obviously it's not. Heaven becomes a place where all you hear is the gentle strains of harp music as you sit on a cloud and wait forever. Now, on some days, that sounds really good. Sometimes I think, man, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to sleep for the first thousand years. But when you see this, you can't sleep. These guys were like day and night. They're like, I don't want to miss a thing. When we're in heaven, our heads are going to be spinning around with eyes in the back of our heads because we're just going to be going, check that out, look at that, see that. And the response is, God, you are holy. Now, holiness doesn't just mean you're not sinning, okay? So the popular concept that holiness means quit doing everything, and then what's left will be holy. The word holy is a, is a deep word that refers to God, we learn from the English, some of the English words that translate the same word. Um, holy also means whole, complete. W-H-O-L-E comes from the same root as the word holy. But to be healed, to be healthy, those are also from the same English word that we translate as holy. Holiness, biblically, it, it, it's, a, it's an exclusive word because it's everything that's hurt, everything that's ugly, everything that's dirty is excluded from holiness. But interestingly, it is also a hugely inclusive word. So it's exclusive and inclusive at the same time because it's like it means everything. Everything that's good, everything that matters is bound up. God is holy because he is complete. He is healthy. He is holy. And and so their impression when they worship him is, you're holy. And, and not only that, as the, as the 24 elders, as those who I believe are us, will be there, say, and you're worthy, O Lord. You're valuable. You're, you're worth this, or this is appropriate for you to receive glory, doxa, and honor, that is, tame, or value, and power, dunamis, it's only appropriate to tell you about that, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Paul says over in the book of Colossians chapter 1, 
speaking of Jesus, something kind of similar in uh, Colossians 1.16, for by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Now in the King James here in Revelation 4, it says they were created for your pleasure. Your will is probably a better choice of words, and yet ultimately his will is his pleasure. It, it, what, it, what, it, what it's saying is everything that you created, you created because you wanted to. You wanted it to be that way. And the proper response to witnessing creation is to go, God, you're amazing. You are so, you have so much power, and thank you for that gift. And it, it, what an incredible design. It's beautiful. It's not to look at what God makes and say, I think I could break this down into its component parts, and basically, I can understand. I can get it. It's in my head. These guys weren't into their head. They were amazed by the decoration of heaven. You ever wonder why God made the world and why he made heaven with all of this detail? So often, we think that oh, we just need it to be utilitarian. Why can't everything just be a box? And we kind of expect heaven to be like a big apartment building. You know, maybe have a pool and a gym, but, you know, basically just a, make it look like, I shouldn't say Irvine, but make it look like <laughs> something that's just stamped out with no hills, no, you know, just like, no, let's just get in our little box and let's enjoy our TV, where one box in the house, something's moving, something has color, something's exciting. You ever wonder why Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't even scratch the surface of the kingdom of God. Well, watch a child and what they enjoy and what they appreciate. And we often say, yeah, you know, when you're working with kids, you really need to keep it exciting, a lot of movement, a lot of color, a lot of transition. Yeah, because we become so old that we just don't have the energy to see it that way. Kids, they can look at, and, and it's funny, they can watch the same video, a little two-year-old can watch the same video a hundred times, and they're still totally excited about it. You know, you, you, you tell your kid, we're going to McDonald's. And you can climb through the little maze and eat your little Happy Meal. And they call them a Happy Meal because they're happy. <laughs> like, if you go to McDonald's, are you happy? I mean, does that, I don't remember the last time I was happy to eat at McDonald's. But I have to keep going different places because I don't have the capacity that a child has to appreciate the simple beauty of perfect French fries. I just... It's like, oh, I don't know, maybe Shamrock Shake will get me excited. But a kid, and I've told the story before, I'll never forget when we went, drove through Montana, and my son William, who was probably six or seven at the time, he looked out the window at the sky. And I, was explain, I had explained to them about Montana being big sky country and kind of what that meant. But he had been sleeping in the car, and he woke up, and it was the clear day, one of those... Montana days where the blue of the sky just grabs you by the throat. And William looked out the window and he goes, 
dad, look at the graphics. <laughs> because <laughs> when was the last time I saw a sky that was really blue and was impressed by the graphics, by the, by the visual image that was created? When you see kids, they can say, wow. And they don't care how the beauty happened. If you explain to them, that is God's painting in the sky, they'll go, wow. And they see God as being great. And ultimately, that's what he's trying to get. And that's how we're going to spend our eternity. So you better get used to appreciating aesthetics. Everything God makes, he makes intricately detailed. And, and the creative possibilities that we have within us to design something nice. It's why certain rooms, when you go into them, they feel good, and you might not know why. Um, there are certain places in the world that you just go there, and it just feels peaceful. Well, does that lead you to worship God? It's one of the reasons why, historically, churches were designed very majestically, huge high ceilings and, and beautiful paintings and icons around you know, stained glass and, 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 a, and an organ that just when they hit the chords that you felt it in your chest and, and it, was, it was sights and sounds and fancy robes and smells and bells and all of that stuff as being incorporated into worship. Now, you know, if you grew up in that kind of tradition, sometimes you just get to the point where it's like, you know, this is too much trouble. Let's just get this over with. If you grew up in a low church tradition like most of us did, you look at that and go, it seems too artificial. Um, I don't know if that's the way church should be. It's fine for it to be that way. But I know this, the best place where I see God's glory is in creation. Anything that simulates that, I mean, I my son is an architect. I see some of the things that he designs, and some of those things just touch me and hit me. And, and every job, every opportunity is a way to somehow communicate the glory and the beauty of God because that's what he has created. And yet we so often just boil it down to, just give me the basics. Uh, what kind of a chair do you want in this room? I don't know, just a chair. I just want to sit on it. I don't want to look at it. And heaven is a place, a multi-sensory place, and we probably even have other senses other than the senses that we have now when we get to heaven, but it's all designed to bring glory to God. It's all designed to set the mood, the stage. He decorates it as he does our world. You go to the bottom of the sea where no one has ever been, and you will see incredible beauty and detail that no one was ever even intended to see. God just likes to be fancy. He just likes to overwhelm. He likes to, to bless us. Why did God even create people? It, it, often we think God created people so that he would have somebody to love. God was up there, heaven's a boring place. He's thinking, I need some people up here. That's what I need. God didn't need anything. But God, in his creative brilliance, was kind of like if, if you're at a beautiful place and you, see, you just see this view and you go, oh, wow. And, it, and you just go, I wish somebody could be here to share this. I want to show it to somebody. Now, thanks to the iPhone, you take a picture, you <laughs> text it to your friend, and they go, wow, that's where you are. But 
God was just going, I want somebody to enjoy this. I want somebody to share in this. And our response to beauty should always be praise and glory to him. And so that's what we see. That's what heaven is about. It's not like manipulating us in order for us to go, gee, God, thank you. That's really cool. But it's the response of our heart, like a child seeing something amazing for the first time, or even other times if they're young enough, they always appreciate special, and just going, wow, wow. One of our discussion questions for home fellowships this week, I think the first one, asks you the question, when was the last time you said, wow? And then to go on and think about that some more. And that's a, that's a convicting question, really. You might go, I opened my bills, and I said, wow. <laughs> I looked in the mirror in the morning, wow. It's not what we're talking about. But nature, God has made creation. God has created it for a reason. I, yesterday, just spending time with the Lord, getting my heart ready for this message, I, I went down to Montage Resort, and I hiked down, and down at the bottom at the end of the beach, there's these rocks that jut way out, and the tide was out a bit, and so I was able to easily walk out there. And, and I went out there and just stood on these rocks, and I'm watching the water hit these rocks and just boom, explode off the rocks and come over and just, you know, get me wet. And, I, and, and it was just like... It was, wow, I didn't say, boy, isn't it interesting how because of the tide, you know, the, the gravity of the moon, it makes this happen, and these rocks are worn away. And No, I was just like, God, you're amazing. And, and I'm walking through Montage after being down there on those rocks. I'm looking at the different colored flowers and the different even people. That it's a great people-watching place. And I'm just seeing the beauty and I'm in my heart, I'm just going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, you made this. It was made because you wanted it this way. And as I'm thinking that, as I'm experiencing that, I'm praising God, I'm, I'm worshiping him. I'm going, you are worth it. You, you're amazing. Every little detail, watching the birds as they would just soar through the sky. And, and even observing the creative nature of the buildings and, and the way they're put together to so enhance the beauty. And we're, you know, down there the other day and, and Jerry was saying, yeah, you know, people go, boy, it's too bad they built here. And he goes, are you kidding? This was a trailer park. And they made it into this amazing place. And when I look at all of that, when I see what God has done, the proper response should not be to analyze it. It should be to say, wow, God, you are healthy, you are complete, you are perfection. I want that in my life. I, I, I don't want to be splintered up. I don't want to be a, a part. I, I, I desire that completeness, that inclusiveness and exclusiveness that you provide. I want my life to be more like what you have designed and created. I, I, I desire to see that. And that is the epitome of worship. And it's why, frankly, I mean, 
we talk about majestic cathedrals and things like that, and then you go, wow, um, we've got open beams over here, and you can see the air-conditioning ducts, and the carpet doesn't match, and, the, and, and these lights look like they're a nightmare from the 50s, and, and it, it's like, you know, what's that flag over there for? And, what? and, you know, but this isn't the ideal place to worship. This is where we kind of go, okay, sit down and sing some songs before we look at the Word of God. And you can worship here because God's creation is represented here. And you can, as you sit down, you can look around and see people and go, wow, God's done amazing things. If you could know the story of every person who was here, and as I know many of them, I look at this group and I just go, wow, God, you're amazing what you've been doing in people's lives. It's amazing what your word can do to set people free and to transform them. That's what's wow when we get together as people. But it's not about going through the motions. It's about a spontaneous eruption. Thunder, lightning, colors, flashes of light, all of that saying, God, you're amazing. God, you are worthy. You're holy. You're the whole deal. You are complete. You are the one who is health, the epitome of health. You bring health. And so if we respond to his beauty and creativity by giving him glory, then we are doing what we were created to do. As long as we are just going through the motions of life, trying to get by, trying to survive. And when we can walk right past his creation and never say, wow, when we can see what he does and not even acknowledge it, because we have stuff to do, we are failing to do what we were designed to do, which is to worship him. And with these elders, they had crowns, and crowns are promised to us, but they take these crowns and they go, you know, everything I've ever done, everything I've ever participated in, any good in me, it's you. It's you, Lord. Here's the crown. I don't need a crown. You're the crown. Your beauty surrounds me. And, and I thank you for that. And I praise you for that. And I appreciate that. That's what heaven is like. It's so exciting you won't want to sleep. It, it, it's so all-encompassing in all of your senses that if you don't get a dog in heaven, you're not going to care. Because you're not going to have to like pretend that there's somebody who loves you perfectly, like your dog. <laughs> no, whatever you want in heaven, you'll have. But when you get there, you're going to find this thing is an explosion that affects all my senses, and it drives me to my Savior. And that's in an imperfect way, what this world, this creation is designed to do. And if you can get out and see what God has made and not say, wow, something's wrong. Something is missing. And when we have that opportunity, we don't take it. We go, I mean, I know people who have lived in California their whole lives and they've never been to Yosemite. If that's you, if you've been to Waikiki 10 times and you've never been to Yosemite, you're an idiot. But find something that makes you say, wow, because that's what worship is. That's where praise comes from. 
And I pray that for each of us this week, we will create some time to look and go, wow. That, that we will look at God's creation and go, holy, holy, holy. God, you're amazing. That's going to be our future, and that should be our present now. Let's pray. God, thank you for making everything that you've made the way you did. You thought of everything. God, we think that Disney, the Disney Corporation is pretty impressive, the way they put things together. But when we see the decorations of heaven, and frankly, when we see the way you decorated this planet, even after the fall, we go, amazing. You're amazing. You are holy. You've thought of everything. And you're worthy of our praise and our appreciation. So thank you for what you've done, for who you are, for the way that you awaken within us that childlike enthusiasm and excitement for simple beauty. Lord, help us to walk worthy and help us to not forget who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.